Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one King, true and eternal, and Omega, beginning and end, our life evermore. There's an old joke that preachers uh, have used from time to time. Dwayne, I don't know if you ever use this or not, but uh, the joke goes like this. I've used it certainly, and I'm going to make a little change to it. And that is, uh, what does it mean when a preacher takes off his watch and sets it down in front of him? The answer is, absolutely nothing. But the addition, which I'll propose to you today, is what does it mean when the preacher doesn't even bring his watch? It means, be afraid. Be severely afraid. Well, I want to uh, speak with you today from Hebrews 11 and some other verses that support uh, some of the things that uh, I want you to think about today and hopefully by the inspiration, guidance of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully some uh, will be convicted about this and others encouraged. Uh, Ultimately, my desire is that the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted and lifted up and That is my purpose here this morning. Last month, Paula and I had the opportunity to visit the Ark Encounter. I don't know if you have uh, ever been there to see this amazing monolithic structure that was built in Williamstown, Kentucky. Uh, I was certainly in awe. I was emotionally touched and and gripped as we walked down the pathway toward this ark. Now, when we first got there in the area, we were kind of lost. We were following GPS, which is sometimes a bad idea. And we came in through the back way, and the ark was still off in the distance, much further away than what uh, this image shows us here. I was still in awe then, But when we got to this point where I took this picture, uh, I was in tears. I almost wept because of the profound feelings that I was experiencing as I saw this ark and thought about Hebrews 11. What I'm referring to is Hebrews 11.7 where it talks about Noah by faith, how he built the ark and in the building of that ark, He condemned the world that was in existence then because of their iniquity and their corruption, their sinful wickedness. And I would submit to you today that this ark still condemns the world. But also in another way, it preaches the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what I want you to see. As I thought about this, as Uh, And we need to see the other picture too because uh, you can kind of grasp the enormity of this structure. 300 cubits long. About 450 feet, I believe, is what they told us. But if you look down at the bottom of the picture, you can see those are people down there. And uh, coming out, there's, there's a little building that's underneath there where they've got concessions and stuff like that. Coming out of there, Uh, and you're looking up and you're underneath this thing and then walking away and seeing that, 
it, it's like, wow, that's amazing. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you have not gotten a chance to go see the ark, uh, that you take the opportunity if it's presented to you. You will not be disappointed. Uh, we were there for five hours inside the ark. And uh, just amazing, amazing adventure. And uh, I want to go back. Uh, I don't think five hours is sufficient enough to see what uh, the answers in Genesis people have put together in, in this. Uh, that ark took uh, about four or five years to build, I believe it is. Uh, several million dollars. Um, but still, when we look at that, we can kind of get an idea of what Noah dealt with. And of course, it took him much longer. Uh, the answers in Genesis people say that uh, it was 55 to 75 years uh, in the building. I would like to point out also that uh, we tend to think about Noah and, and the people of his day as not being very technological technologically savvy or or have but uh, if you look at Genesis 4:22 I believe it is uh it talks about uh how Tubal Cain was the uh inventor and and builder of implements of steel and iron so they had tools you know they weren't simply wielding wooden hammers and and things like that. They had minds that were close to the time of Adam. Adam had a great mind, obviously, to name all of the, the animals that he named. And, and he was, he was the original invention of God. And so when you think about that and the possibility that Noah, who was very close, uh, to, to Adam, still had a very clear mind that that you know, they say that we only use ten percent of our brain today. Uh, I think probably that was much larger percentage with Noah and those who immediately uh, uh, seceded from uh, Adam. Now there were all kinds of people that opposed the building of this, and you can take the picture down now. Um, Bill Nye, the the science guy. He was one who opposed it. There were other people. There were, there were news networks that came and, and, uh, made all kinds of a ruckus about that. But, uh, there was the American Atheists and Secular Coalition for America that opposed it. The Freedom from Religious Foundation opposed it. Why would they oppose that? Why would they oppose a replica of the Ark of Noah? Bill Nye said it would turn, uh, it would turn young people away from true science. Others lambasted the ark over separation of church and state issues. And the real reason I believe that they opposed this ark was because it preached and continues to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to thousands of people every day. What a wonderful thing that Ken Ham and his crew have done in building that ark. I'd like us to take a minute and look at Hebrews 11, uh, verses 5-7. through 7. 
I'm going to read to you from my translation of the original language here, and then we'll have a word of prayer and I'll continue to uh, hopefully illuminate uh, what is being said here. Hebrews 11, 5-7, and I would remind you that uh, this is the divinely inspired Word of God without error. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he obtained the witness that he pleased God. But apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God, it is necessary to believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, being warned concerning things not yet visible, in reverent fear, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Will you join me in prayer? Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to You today through the precious atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that You would guide us as we study Your Word, Your words of life that are given to us as a great gift. We thank You for the ability to understand the Scriptures through the Holy Spirit. And we thank You that we have this great opportunity to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ to a corrupt and dying world. We pray that we would not shrink away from the truth of the Gospel, but that we would be bold and that we would be passionate about seeing people hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For that is what You have commanded us to do. We have in Hebrews 11 this wonderful hall of fame of faith that You have given to us as examples for us. How, how, how men and women of old by faith did amazing and great things. And it is no different for us today, Lord. We can, by faith, do amazing and great things if we will keep our faith and trust in You. We thank You again for this time of worship and we give You praise and thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the main idea of Hebrews 11 is to display for our encouragement and instruction examples of biblical people who were victorious in life because of faith. The character or the chapter is like a list of references one might include in a resume for a job interview. And in this case, God is demonstrating that people like you and I can do amazing things through faith in Him. Throughout Scripture, we see and understand that faith is a gift from God. It's a free gift from God. It's not as a result of works, as Paul said, lest any man should boast. Faith is something 
that God has chosen from the foundation of the world to implant in the hearts of His people. So He imparts it to those for whom He has chosen to save. To include in His kingdom. Here is the main points of the message which are similar to the verses that I've read to you. First of all, by faith, Enoch did not experience physical death. There's been some question about that uh, by some. Certainly if you read uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian of of old, uh, he uh, seemed to think that Enoch was one who, who did experience death, but I think in black and white, it's clear from the Scriptures that he did not. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Secondly, by faith, Christians will not experience eternal death. They may experience death, and some have already gone before us. Paul uses uh, the euphemism of, of sleep as an example of death. And some of us here today may even experience that, but Scripture tells us that some of us may not. Now, that's often referred to as the blessed hope in, in other passages. We'll look at a few of those here in just a little bit. And thirdly, by faith, Noah condemned a sinful world and became or inherited a righteousness. So, before I delve into our vocal, vocal verses, allow me to backtrack a few verses in our Scriptures where the author, which I believe is God Himself, tells us what the basic definition of faith is. I would expect that you would know that, but I'm going to highlight it as well. So, the writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So let your mind rest on that for a moment as I turn to Romans 10.17 where Paul tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So there is a necessity of hearing the Gospel of Jesus Christ in order to believe. We don't just simply one day decide that we're going to believe in God. That's clear in Scripture as well. So together, these verses give us a foundation to know what kind of faith the author is talking about. And I should mention that there are other kinds of faith, and those kinds of faith do not save. They fall short of the glory of God. And I want to give you my definition of faith, not that it's any better, certainly, than what the Scripture tells us, but this is it. Saving faith is a belief, a complete trust in the invisible God, in who He says He is, and what He says He will do. That is derived completely from the Holy Scriptures. Now let me repeat it since I kind of messed it up there. Saving faith is a belief, a complete trust in the invisible God, in who He says He is and what He says He will do, that is derived completely from the Holy Scriptures. That combines the thought of, of Hebrews and the Romans verse that I read to you earlier. I'll come back to this in a little bit when we look at, look at verse 6 a little later. But let me just belabor this for a moment as 
the last part is critical to our understanding of what the nature of saving faith is. The author tells us that our faith is not in what is visible, but invisible. So here it is, the knowledge of God. Who He says He is, what He says He will do, was initially handed down to us by word of mouth, and eventually it became the written word. So when you think about that, the fact that through Moses we have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, given to him by the inspiration of God, but also handed down by word of mouth. And then later, that was developed and taken down and written. And so, we have this idea of, of the hearing of the Word, but we also have the idea that, that seeing is hearing and it can be believing too. Okay, So those, those uh, ideas are there as well. Something that evolutionists uh, come up with, and, and I'm bringing this out for a reason here, you'll see in a minute. Evolutionists and atheists, when they talk about the beginning, creation of the world, this idea of where did matter come from? Where did matter come from? It's something that we can put forward as an argument of the Big Bang Theory. So this is the place where proponents of evolution and the Big Bang Theory have no answer as far as where, what started it at all. They say that there's this big explosion that took place, but what caused that explosion? What was the causal thing? We believe that it was God that caused it. For He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. And He can create something from nothing. But that's the problem with evolutionists and the atheists who have this idea that we came from this primordial ooze or that that something happened all of a sudden which they can't explain and now we have from chaos we have order. An impossibility by the way and even our own laws of science uh, attest to that. If the Big Bang Theory is true, then there had to be a cause, a someone that started it in motion. So their theory falls short of explaining the origin of the universe and of life itself. But we know that there is a God. God makes absolute sense of it all. And they accuse us of advocating fairy tales, yet their system is more of a fairy tale and conjecture than what we stand for. Well, they accuse us of blind faith. And to some extent, it is blind, and I'll explain that here in a minute, because we do not visibly see God. We do not visibly see the cross or Jesus Christ. Yet, with eyes of faith, we do behold Him who died for our sin. We behold Him through the preaching of the cross, through the, through the inspired Word of God that is, is preached to us. So ours is not a true blind faith. It is, it is a faith that is based 
on a foundation of God's holy word. God gave us eyes to see. He gave us conviction. He gave us hope. And as Paul says, faith is, or as the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have in verse 5, as in many verses in this chapter, Hebrews 11, the words, by faith. Like there is a preposition by in front of the word faith. And I will tell you right now, in the original language, there is no preposition there before pistuo, the word, or pistis, which is the word for faith. The word for faith stands alone and points to God and specifically Christ as the object of our faith. We have numerous examples in this chapter describing how through the instrumentality of faith, men and women did great things. Yet at the same time, it is important that we don't look at faith as a tool that we can pick up or put down whenever we want to. Calvin states that Faith alone is the teacher of obedience, and yet it is unbelief that prevents us from obeying God. So obedience is the main idea of what we should take notice of in our text, both for Enoch and Noah, as well as other examples of faith expressed in this chapter. So let us think about this phrase, which you may have caught when I read it from verse 5, Enoch was translated. The modern versions uh, use often the phrase taken up. Uh, it comes from the Greek word metatathemi, which has a meaning more than just taken up. It has the idea of change. Uh, that... Uh, And and taken up doesn't quite capture what took place with Enoch. The word metatithemi, which is translated as translated in the older English versions, I think is is a better word because it it carries with it this idea of being changed. Another idea that is there is that it, it, it expresses this idea of being transferred from one place to another place. We'll see examples of that here in just a minute. In any case, whatever you use in your translation or what you understand, whether it's taken up or translated, it's obvious that something happened to Enoch. Something different than his fathers and the sons that followed after him. Enoch was changed. He was translated. And he did not experience death. That is abundantly clear in the text that we read today. In black and white. Enoch was physically removed from the earth. And he was physically removed alive. And the Scriptures tell us specifically why the change took place. He was translated, and I believe that there is a purpose here, purpose clause, so that he should not 
see death. There's something more to that. It was certainly an unusual occurrence, but not completely foreign to the Bible. Maybe you're thinking right now in the back of your mind, well, what about Elijah? Now, I want to start a little quiz here, and you can hold up your hand. I don't mean to intimidate anybody, but uh, how many of you have seen pictures somewhere, whether it's on the internet or or whatever, pictures of Elijah being taken up in the fiery fiery uh, chariots? You seen pictures like that? Okay, so so here's the question: Was Elijah? Taken up by fiery chariots. Hold up your hand. Fiery chariots. Okay, good. Just a few hands. He was actually taken up by a whirlwind. Okay, that's what the scriptures tell us. That's why it's important that we carefully read the Word of God as we go through this. So I'm going to read to you, uh, if I can find it on my notes here, Second Kings 2.11. It says, and it's talking about how Elisha and Elijah were together walking along and all of a sudden the fiery chariot came and divided them and separated them. So this is it. Then it came about as they were going along and talking that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind to heaven. So now you know if you didn't already. And you did good on the poll. I'm impressed. Because I always thought it was fiery chariots that took them up. I went with the pictures. And that's, that's a great example of how art through the ages can tell us a false gospel or a false message of Scripture. We know that the prophet Elijah was also taken up alive in a whirlwind, whirlwind, and we have no reason to believe that he died in the process as well. What about some some skeptics might say? What about uh, Hebrews nine twenty seven? You know that verse. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. See right there, it says everybody's got to die. No. That's not what it says. It says, generally, it is appointed unto men once to die. It's, it's conveying the idea that the judgment does come after death. But it's not saying that everybody has to die. Enoch didn't die. Elijah didn't die. So, how do we reconcile this? So some might say that all are appointed to die and that the normal course of God's plan in life and death is death, but obviously from Scripture we can see that from time to time there are exceptions and I'm going to lay those out before you right now. I'm going to refer you to the rest of Hebrews 9.27, verse 28, which says, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. In other words, He's not appearing time to die on the cross for sin. But He, the purpose of His appearance is for those 
who eagerly await Him. You hear that? You catch what it's Hebrews 9.28 is saying? Christ is going to appear a second time. That's the promise of Scripture. And He's going to appear to those who are alive and eagerly waiting for Him. That's what it says. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And you know this Scripture. In fact, I encourage you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.15-18. Familiar passage of Scripture. Paul talking to the Thessalonians says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. And there's that euphemism for death. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then notice what it says after that. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And the the word there for caught up I'm going to talk about is harpazo. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now that's not the same word as metatathemi, it is harpazo. I want to emphasize that, but it, it kind of has the same idea here. Harpazo means in the original Greek to seize, to steal, to carry off or drag away, to take or snatch. Paul goes on and he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Well, I want to expound to you other uses of the word harpazo, caught up, in Scripture so that it might amplify or or help you to see the, the meaning of what Paul is saying here. And I think it's unlike, or I think it's it's very much similar to the word translated as I've used it. In Matthew 12.29, Jesus had just been accused of casting out demons by the authority of Satan. And he, and he says, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder. The word for plunder there is harpazo. He will, he will steal or take away what is in his house. That's Matthew 12.29. Then in John 10, 7, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The word harpazo. Then once again in Acts 8, 39, we have a great example study here. And when they came up out of the water, talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Harpazo, snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. So Philip, in this instance, the Scripture tells us, he was taken from one place 
to another. Now, it was not taken up into heaven, obviously, but you can see the meaning of the word that is, that is used there. It's relevant. And then finally, one other, which uh, you might find interesting in Revelation 12.5, talking about uh, the woman that's depicted in that chapter, some would say Israel, and it says, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, some would say Jesus, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to His throne. That word, harpazo, is used there in Revelation 12.5. Now if you go back with me to 1 Thessalonians 4 here briefly, Obviously, Paul is telling us that there is a a whole group of people yet in the future who will not experience death. Now, we don't know when that will be. Only the Lord knows. And I want to emphasize something to you today. I'm not talking about futuristic premillennialism. I'm not trying to force that on you. I'm in that camp. But, I'm not talking about mid-tribulation. I'm not talking about post-tribulation. I'm not talking about the end of the ages. I'm just trying to stress to you that there is something that takes place at some point in the future where people who are alive on the earth will be translated or changed or taken up alive. It's there in the Bible. It's undeniable. doesn't matter for, for the purpose of what I'm preaching today when that event occurs. Paul goes on in another chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Translated. So enough about that. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and Enoch. Now as I've always already belabored, We see in verse 5 that Enoch obviously did not die. Some would say that he was raptured. Missing. Gone. In my mind's eye, I imagine his friends and relatives at that particular time. For instance, Jared, Enoch's father, approaches his friends and relatives and says, Have you seen Enoch? No, not since last week. Why? Is he missing? We can't find him anywhere. Well, maybe he wandered off somewhere and died. Nah, he's only 365 years old. He's a youngster. I know. Let's go ask Methuselah. I did, and he hasn't seen him either. What about Lamech? Nope. Hasn't seen him for days. I I use this little uh, parody here, whatever you want to 
call it, all kidding aside, what does Scripture say the reason was that Enoch was not found, but taken up alive to God? The rest of that verse, it goes on and it says, because Enoch pleased God. Genesis 5.22 and 24 says that Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. Now parents take note. Even after having kids, he kept the faith. I'll let that sink in for a minute. Twice we have that description of the character of Enoch. He walked with God. He didn't waver or stray. His commitment remained steadfast and unflinching all of his life. He had an unusually close communion with God. And finally, at 365 years old, verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And the original Hebrew paints a graphic picture for us, as it often does. It literally says, and Enoch walked with God and whence? It's this idea that they looked for him. He was nowhere to be found. It's like all of a sudden, and he's gone, and nobody knows where he's at. Why did God do that? Hebrews 11.5 says he was pleasing to God. Now what a testimony. What a commendation. Wouldn't you like to have someone say that about you behind your back instead of some of the other things they might say? He or she walked with God. Wouldn't you like to hear someone say that you are pleasing to God. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word for pleasing here is 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 only used here. It's uh, eurystheto. The other places in Hebrews 13:16 where it says, "Do not neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased." So there's the idea of obedience used there in Hebrews. We find also in Psalm 56.13 where David says this in the Septuagint, the Greek version, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Did you notice the word for pleasing is associated with walking? Enoch walked with God says it twice. And there is one other example in Scripture where it says that of a person and that is used of Noah. Noah walked with God. At this point, I want to reemphasize what I said at the beginning, and that is that faith is a gift of God. It is a free gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one can boast. Every, everything else is of the flesh. Everything else is derived of human effort. But to, 
Paul says, but to the one who does not work, but, but, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is recognized as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Mark Twain said, Heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. Most of the modern translations use this word coerus in in the verse here we are looking at. And they translate it as without. But a better understanding is captured in Young's literal translation, which is apart from. And I say that because it because it is a genitive preposition, it's a subtle difference between without and apart from. Whether you are apart from the faith or without faith, you cannot please God. More specifically, you will not see His kingdom. But there's more. What are the particulars of faith that are expressed in Hebrews 11? There are two things the author says here that are necessary. The original Greek word is day. It's a requirement. One is he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, that he is who he says he is, who the Scriptures say he is. And the other is that he rewards those who seek him. That's that's a, a basic definition used here of faith. Some translations use this idea of and He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And while diligently is not there in the text, I think it's a good idea that's communicated in the Scriptures. Folks, if you believe that the God of the Bible is who He says He is, the Almighty, the Sovereign, the Creator of the universe, the One who gave His only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you have this understanding, you don't just merely believe and walk away unchanged and do your own thing. There has to be a change. A new birth. Jesus emphasized that in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, the religious leader. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And again, marvel not that I said you must be born again. There has to be a change there. To others, he said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now why am I saying that among a church, a group of believers? Because the Gospel still has to be preached. And people can still repent and believe in the Gospel, even in church. Now, we're going to close up in verse 7 here. I want to point out a couple of things. I know that we're running short. By faith, Noah condemned a sinful world and inherited righteousness. I've already mentioned mentioned that scripture uh, in Scripture twice, Enoch walked with God, and the other time it is used of Noah. For Noah walked with God. Verse 7 states, By faith, Noah being warned concerning things not visible, in reverent fear prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. 
The text uses this word being warned or instructed. It has the idea of being divinely warned or instructed. We know that uh, several in Scripture were divinely warned uh, just as Noah was. For instance, the three wise men were warned not to return to Herod. They were divinely warned in a dream uh, about his purpose, his, his lying to them as well. Others, Joseph is an, is an example. And he, uh, instead of returning there to Jerusalem, went up to the Galilean region. So he did not uh, return there as well. But it says of Noah that he saw with the eyes of faith. He, he did not look at the visible because the visible was not, not to be seen. He was told that there was going to come a flood and that God said that He was going to destroy every living thing on the earth. He had not seen that yet, but he believed it by faith. And his faith was no different than our faith today. And what did he do in obedience to that faith? He constructed the ark. And through that faith, he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now Peter says of Noah that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What was the message that Noah preached? It certainly wasn't God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's pretty obvious that Noah preached about a holy God who was going to bring judgment upon a sinful and corrupt world and that the only way of escape was through the ark that Noah was building. He preached this for years and years and years. Despite the mockery, despite the teasing, despite the bad reputation that he might get, despite any fear of man, he preached the coming judgment. And I can see him saying to people as they mocked him and hurled insults at him, yet he pleaded with them, there's room in the ark for you. I have to tell you as a former Southern Baptist preacher, following my sermons, I had times of invitations. Hoping that people would walk the aisle and give their life to Christ. During that time, the musicians would play something like, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. And beloved, if you are here today and you have not repented of your sin and believed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, there's room at the cross for you as well. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died on the cross so that whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He rose from the dead on the third day and He's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Like in Enoch's day and Noah's day, 
A flood of judgment is coming for those who do not repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, the true ark of God. Have you entered into that ark? I hope so. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Your Word says, See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, how much less shall we escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven? I pray, Lord, that no one here would walk away from that warning. I pray, Lord, that those listening through the YouTube video would repent of their sin and believe in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about here on earth. And we lose sight of that. Forgive us, Father, for for being weak. Forgive me for being weak in the preaching of the Gospel. Help us to do better. Give us the strength and the power by Your Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news that there is a Savior and one who will gladly free us from our sin if we will repent and believe. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.